All right. Well, uh, William Shakespeare. Oh, wait a minute. We're going to be in uh, chapter six again in a message that I'm calling Two Kings. I forgot to tell you that part. You have to have the title because that makes the rest of the message make sense. So Two Kings is the title of our passage. Uh, okay, so uh, William Shakespeare is probably the most famous playwright uh, in history, right? We all know William Shakespeare, and, and uh, his most well-known plays, though, are his tragedies. Uh, and in each one of his tragedies, uh, his, his main character displays uh, a tragic flaw or a series of tragic flaws uh, that these are personality traits that lead uh, to that, that hero's downfall. And so, uh, for example, in Macbeth, uh, Macbeth's, one of his tragic flaws was his ambition. Now, Macbeth was a servant of King Duncan, uh, but in the beginning of the play, he meets these three witches, and these three witches prophesy that one day he will be king, and he desperately wants that uh, to be true. And he made the mistake of telling his super, uber-ambitious wife, Lady Macbeth, about this prophecy. And so Lady Macbeth, uh, even more ambitious than Macbeth, uh, when he told her the prophecy, she plotted uh, to put King Duncan to death. And another one of Macbeth's tragic flaws was his weakness of character. His weakness of character. Macbeth would not refuse his wife's plan. And so he killed King Duncan, uh, even though he knew that it was wrong. And when Duncan's sons were blamed, well, Macbeth, he became king. But then his paranoia kicked in, and he killed everybody who he thought might make some kind of claim uh, to the throne, including uh, the family of his chief rival by the name of Macduff. So Harry, uh, 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 Macbeth is starting to, to feel the paranoia. So he goes back uh, to the three witches and asks them for advice uh, about how safe his kingdom was. And so the witches give this ominous uh, a prophecy to Macbeth uh, that says that Macbeth shall never be vanquished until great Burnham Wood to high Dunsinane Hill. Well, Macbeth was confused. What does that mean? Uh, surely a forest can't march, so my kingdom must be safe. Well... While this was going on, Macduff raised an army, and what he did was he cut down the branches from Burnham Wood and used these branches for his army as camouflage. And so a Great Burnham Wood, in fact, did march on Dunsinane Hill. And Macbeth realized this, that, that the, the forest was marching against him. Uh, Macduff captured him, uh, cut off his head. And so Macbeth's ambition, his weakness of character, his desire to please his wife, all of these things ultimately killed him. Now, I'm sorry if I spoiled Macbeth for you, but the play is 400 years old, and you've had plenty of time to read it, uh, so sorry for that. So why am I telling you this story about Macbeth? Well, it's because Macbeth reminds me of the villain in our story today, uh, Herod Antipas, the villain of our story, who murdered the righteous John the Baptist to please his wife and his dinner guests. And so he had the same character traits, ambition, weakness of character. And these can make people, lead people to do crazy things uh, to, to get power, and then even crazier things sometimes to keep their power. And so, uh, well, a little bit about Herod Antipas. He was one of uh, Herod the Great's children. Uh, and so uh, Herod the Great died in uh, 4 BC. And then his kingdom was divided uh, among three children. And so this is what the, what the kingdom looked like. That yellow area, uh, his oldest son, Archelaus, uh, got that. That was half the kingdom. 
Uh, Philip, another brother, got a quarter of the kingdom. Uh, that's the purple area. And then Antipas got that orange area, another quarter of the kingdom. And that included, in the upper part, that's Galilee. That's, that's the area uh, where uh, Jesus was doing most of his ministry. Uh, Mom and Dad, if you're watching, just notice that Archelaus, the oldest son, got a double portion. Uh, and that should be carried out uh, throughout the generations. So uh, Archelaus has a half. Uh, Antipas and uh, his brother Philip have a quarter. Uh, but Antipas wasn't satisfied with his quarter. He wanted more and more. And so these tragic flaws that he had revealed themselves in greater detail uh, as, he, as his life goes on. And they, they, they kind of show themselves in immorality, uh, people-pleasing, and even murder. So just like Macbeth would do anything necessary to keep his crown and to expand his territory, including uh, murdering John the Baptist. That's what Herod did. But the contrast here uh, in this passage uh, is not so much between Herod and John the Baptist. Uh, it is between Herod and John the Baptist, but it's more than that. It's really a contrast between Herod and Jesus. It's a contrast between two kings, which is why I called this message Two Kings. It's a contrast between uh, Jesus, uh, who is the Messiah, and Herod, who is a, a monster. Uh, and this is what we have to see uh, in the passage, the contrast between these two kings. Now, let's talk about Herod's paranoia. This is verses 14 to 16. And King Herod heard about it, for his name had become well known, and people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying he is Elijah, and others were saying he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard about it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. So remember last week I told you that this, uh, this, this, uh, what we're in now is the beginning of or the middle of uh, what we call a sandwich story in Mark. Uh, last week when, when we talked about Jesus sending out the disciples uh, to cast out demons, to do healings, uh, that was the first piece of bread. And now this middle part here, Herod Antipas's story and John the Baptist, this is the middle part of the sandwich. And then uh, at the end of the passage today, we're going to come to the, the upper piece of bread, which is the results of the mission that Jesus sent them out on uh, last time as we ended with, with those verses. Uh, so that's where we are. And, and the reason why, the, 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 the point that Mark is making as he puts uh, this story in between the other two is to contrast the faith of the disciples uh, by going out and then coming back and reporting all the things they had done, uh, receiving Jesus and the faith that they showed with Herod Antipas, who had no faith. Uh, and so we see this contrast in vivid color here, uh, where we see that the disciples receive Jesus and go in faith, but Herod Antipas rejected John the Baptist, uh, and as rejecting John the Baptist, also rejects Jesus. And so uh, his message of repentance and forgiveness of sins, uh, he also rejects. So verse 14, uh, King Herod heard about it. Uh, so let's just address this part first. Uh, king Herod is actually a bit of a misnomer. He was not a king. Uh, he was actually a tetrarch, as I said, one of three rulers of this uh, region that is under Rome's authority. But king was a customary title, so that's why Mark uses it. But Rome did not confer the title king upon him. 
And the it that Herod heard about is most likely uh, the disciples' missionary work. They're going about, they're preaching, they're healing, they're casting out demons, and now uh, Herod Antipas uh, is hearing about it. And the people are talking about it because Jesus is doing good work uh, both by himself and through the apostles now. It's making, uh, making everybody around them uh, know that there's something going on. And so the people who were, were hearing about it and seeing these things, they had different opinions uh, about who Jesus was. And some said he was John the Baptist, risen from the dead uh, and performing miracles. So, so we know from that that John the Baptist has already died, uh, and we're going to get a flashback as to what happened in a minute. So some said he was John the Baptist. Others said he was Elijah uh, because uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 prophesies that Elijah would come before the Messiah. Here's what it says. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so they thought that's who Jesus was. And others thought that he was a prophet because of his ability to, to uh, work miracles and, and because of the power of his prophecies. So Herod's got all these different opinions that he's hearing out in the public square, and he's probably asking questions himself about who Jesus is, and, and he settles on John the Baptist risen from the dead. That's who he thinks he is. And so when, when uh, Herod uh, says, uh, or, or when Mark says that Herod kept saying, he kept saying, John whom I beheaded has risen, uh, this indicates repeated action. Uh, he was saying over and over again, uh, which indicates his, his guilty conscience and his paranoia, right? As he's, you know, just, uh, you can see him ruminating over this. Oh, John the Baptist, he's, I killed him. Now he's come back from the dead. You can see him uh, in your mind worrying and fretting about this. And so uh, Herod feared Jesus as though he were John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist's ghost, uh, risen from the dead and, and coming to, to exact revenge uh, upon him. And so Herod Antipas, he's filled with this guilt, he's filled with this paranoia, and it's all caused by his ambition, his people-pleasing, his weakness of character, uh, having no backbone, and now his guilty conscience uh, believes that it's all coming home to roost now. Now uh, the ghost of John the Baptist is going to get even with him. And so uh, that is Herod's paranoia. Now next, we're going to see Mark flash back in time to the murder of John the Baptist. And, and we'll start with why it happened. Uh, Herod's wife Herodias had a motive to kill John the Baptist. This is verses 17 to 20. For Herod himself had sent men and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he had been protecting him. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed, and yet he used to enjoy listening to him. All right, so we need to take a minute to unravel uh, the Herod family tree here so, so we understand what's happening. Uh, as I said, I don't know if you can see that or not, but there were three sons, Aristobulus, Philip, and Antipas. They were three of Herod the Great's children. Now, Herodias was the daughter of Aristobulus, okay? So, so Aristobulus is the father. That makes Philip uh, an uncle. That makes uh, Herod Antipas an uncle. And so Herodias married Philip, her uncle Philip, yes, uh, that's what Herodias did, and apparently uh, that was not a big problem then. But it gets even worse, because uh, on a family trip to, to Rome, 
Herod Antipas also fell in love with Herodias and wanted to make her his wife. Now, the trouble was, of course, that Herodias is married to his brother, Philip, and not only that, but Herod Antipas had his own wife. Uh, he was married to uh, the daughter of King Aretas of Nabatea. Uh, Nabatea is that circled area uh, on the uh, lower right side of your screen there. Uh, that is southeast of the region of Galilee, and, and he's king over this, uh, over this region. Now, he had a daughter whose name was Phasaelus, and uh, so she is married to uh, Herod Antipas, and most likely this marriage was to perform uh, some kind of political alliance, but all of a sudden Herod decides he doesn't want uh, what's, what's her name? Phasaelus anymore. Phasaelus. Uh, he wants Herodias, and so he wants to get out of his marriage, and so he divorced his wife. Uh, which, of course, would have been prohibited under Jewish law, but probably was done under Roman law. And he convinced Herodias to divorce uh, his, uh, her husband, Philip, so that they could get married. So here they are. They're both single now. Now they get married to each other. And so she marries a second uncle. Uh, and so if this all sounds sick to you, well, that's good. That means you have a good moral compass. Uh, this is sick. Uh, and so, you know, if you thought your family was a little weird sometimes, uh, you ain't got nothing on the Herods, I'll tell you that. Their debauchery is the stuff of legend. So, uh, John the Baptist, on the other hand, he is this righteous man. He, he upheld uh, the Jewish law, and so he confronted the king. And, and John uh, says, uh, the text says, John had been saying, which again uh, says he had been continually saying more than once over and over again that the marriage was illegal. Well, what was illegal about it? Well, first of all, it was adultery, right? Because uh, the wife and the husband of the two who got married were still alive. And so Jewish law prohibited remarriage if the spouse was still alive. And it was also incest according to the law. Uh, Leviticus 18.16, You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. Leviticus 20.21, 20, If a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. So, in other words, be happy with your own wife. Don't try to marry your wife's sister, or uh, that'll get you in a lot of trouble. So John the Baptist is, you know, speaking out against him repeatedly, and so uh, Herod can't have that. He, he's got to do something about that. So he arrests John the Baptist, and he puts him in prison. Uh, in the middle of the picture there on the left side of your screen uh, is, is where Machaerus is located. It's on the east side of the Dead Sea. And on the right side of the screen, uh, that is what it looks like today. It looks like just a big mound. But back then, it was an impenetrable fortress uh, where John was being held. And so uh, you'd think that that might be enough for Herodias, but that was not enough for Herodias. As long as, as, uh, as John the Baptist lived, she was going to hold a grudge against him. Uh, she wanted him dead. Now, as a rule, the Herods had no problem with murder. That was you know, part of their DNA. That's what they did to secure uh, their family uh, dynasty on the throne. Uh, but the problem was that Herod feared John. Uh, he knew that he was a holy and righteous man. And Matthew 14.5 says uh, that he was afraid of the people uh, because they revered him as a prophet and they were worried about a revolt. Uh, he was worried about a revolt if he killed uh, John the Baptist. But it seems like they had plenty of conversations between them. And when they talked, Herod was perplexed. This word perplexed means to be in a confused state of mind, to be at a loss, to be in doubt, to be uncertain. And so 
We don't know what they talked about. The conversations are not recorded, but uh, I would imagine it's not too big of a leap to imagine uh, that they talked about uh, sin, uh, the law, uh, judgment, salvation, uh, all of these things. Now, remember, Herod Antipas and the Herod family weren't real Jews. Uh, they, they were, they were uh, how could I say it? They're, they're, they're almost pretending to be Jews to, to, to gain the favor of the people. Uh, but really, they were pagans and they were Romans. Uh, and so uh, what would happen uh, was that Herod w- would talk to John the Baptist John the Baptist would talk about these Jewish concepts to him, and and he didn't understand them. But he still enjoyed listening to John the Baptist. So you can tell that that Herod's got this respect uh, for John the Baptist. But but what we need to understand is that respect uh, is a big leap. It's a big leap from respect to belief, right? Uh, lots of people today respect Jesus' teaching, right? They respect him as a good man as, and as a holy man, and, and they, they think that his teaching is good uh, in some respects. But, but that's a long way uh, from respect to believe that Jesus is uh, their savior, uh, God, who died for their sins and rose from the dead. Uh, so you can respect somebody, but that does not equal salvation, uh, and it's not the same as repentance, and it's not the same as forgiveness of sins, uh, so even though Herod enjoyed listening to him, uh, Herod was clearly not saved, and he was not about to change his ways. So here you have Herod. Uh, he's stuck between a, a rock and a hard place, so to speak, right? He's got this uh, vengeful wife on the one hand who, who wants John the Baptist dead, and yet he's afraid of the people, and he respects John the Baptist, so what is a man to do? Well, even for a Herod, killing a righteous man uh, would give him second thoughts, and you can almost feel Herod's moral struggle as he's, he's, he's uh, wrestling with the implications of trying to please his wife on the one hand, but his interest in protecting John the Baptist on the other hand. And so he probably put him in prison thinking that that would be a fair compromise, you know, that his wife would be satisfied, uh, that, she, that, that John was out of the public square uh, yelling and screaming about this marriage, and that that would satisfy Herodias also. Uh, But if you thought that Herodias would be content with John the Baptist in prison, well, you don't know Herodias. Uh, Herodias had bigger and better uh, plans for John the Baptist, and so she develops uh, this murderous plot that we see in verses 21 to 25. An opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, held a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading people of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask for whatever you want and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Well, Herod throws this big birthday party for himself, and he invited all the important people in his, in his, in his administration, uh, all of whom were, were, who were men. And so Herodias sees an opportunity. Uh, while the men were, men, or were, were drunk, uh, she sent in her daughter, uh, and uh, we're told in Josephus that the daughter's name was Salome, uh, and she came in and she danced for the men. Now, the word for girl that is used here in the Greek indicates a girl of marrying age. So that probably means she was somewhere in the neighborhood of you know, age 15 to 20 or so. 
And the, de the text doesn't describe the dance itself, but uh, uh, we can imagine that it wasn't uh, what Chuck and Laura do, you know, swing dancing, that kind of thing. <laughs> I imagine it was some kind of erotic dance to please Herod uh, and his drunken buddies. Now remember, this is Herod's niece, right, who's doing uh, this dance. And so uh, nothing says happy birthday, Uncle Herod, like a, a strip tease, right, from your niece. Uh, uh, very, very disgusting people. So uh, drunk and impulsive, uh, Herod falls right into uh, Herodias's trap. And so he offers Salome anything that she wanted, and he sealed it with an oath uh, swearing to give her up to half the kingdom, uh, which is a figure of speech to say, uh, ask me for anything I have to give you, and I will give it to you. And so she goes to her mother, uh, and Herodias uh, knew that, that her plan had worked. She told her to ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Uh, can you imagine having such blatant disregard for human life that, that this is what you would ask? And for the daughter to go along with it uh, is, is shocking to me. And I imagine that, that when she made that request, Herod must have been shocked, right, that he had been outwitted and cornered by his wife in front of these dinner guests. And now Herod has to choose between breaking the oath that he made to Salome on the one hand uh, in the presence of his guests or committing murder. Uh, these, these are his options. And so what would Herod do? Well, Herod was a coward, and so this is what he did, verses 26 to 29. And although the king was very sorry, because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when the disciples heard this, they came and carried away his body and laid it in a tomb. And so the death of John the Baptist. Uh, Thomas Constable, who is a, a Bible commentator who many of you may know, uh, he notes that it, the only other time in the Gospel of Mark where this word uh, for very sorry uh, is used uh, is when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, so this word very sorry can mean very distressed, greatly troubled. Uh, and I think that the fact that it's only used in these two occasions uh, shows the greatness of Herod's distress. Uh, it's almost equated with Jesus' distress in the Garden of, Ge of Gethsemane. But what does Herod do? Uh, he's, got, he's got all this pride. You know, he said, I will give you half of my kingdom, uh, as, as if he's got all this to give. And his ambition uh, to keep the dinner guests happy and, and not get a bad reputation, uh, all these things got him in such trouble. It reminds me of, of Pilate's dilemma with Jesus, right? Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with that righteous man. Uh, but, but, but Pilate got himself on the horns of a dilemma. He knew that if he didn't give the Jews what they wanted, uh, then they were going to report back to Rome, and he was going to be in big trouble with Rome. Uh, and so neither Pilate nor Herod Antipas had the backbone to do what was right. Now, earlier, I compared uh, Herod Antipas to Macbeth. Uh, both had these tragic flaws of ambition, uh, paranoia, the desire to please people, and weak character. And both of, or all of these character flaws will, will get us into trouble. They're always going to get us into trouble. And so we know from secular history uh, that what Herod Antipas did by divorcing his wife, uh, King Aretas' daughter, uh, greatly humiliated the king, uh, King Aretas of the Nabataeans. And so uh, King Aretas started a war with Herod Antipas over this, over this slight, over this divorce. 
divorce and humiliation. And Antipas's army suffered a devastating defeat, so bad, in fact, that, that Antipas had to uh, ask Tiberius, the emperor of Rome, for help. Now, Antipas was supposed to be in control of what was going on in his region, and the fact that he had to ask Tiberius for help uh, would have been a very embarrassing thing for him. And all of this because he had to have his brother's own wife. And we also know from secular history that later on, Herod Antipas's uh, ambition got him exiled. So Tiberius was the emperor, Tiberius died, then Caligula became the, the uh, new king. Now Caligula was friends with a man named Agrippa. Agrippa was Herodias's uh, uh, brother. And so you have these two, you have brother and sister now, and there's this sibling rivalry. And because Agrippa was friends with Caligula, when Philip died, Caligula gave Agrippa uh, that portion of the land uh, that was purple. That was, that was Philip's land. Philip died, and so um, Caligula made Herod Agrippa king over that purple area. King, you say? I'm only a tetrarch, says Herod. Uh, I want to be king. So uh, Herod and Herodias asked Caligula, well, can I be king over my little territory? Uh, and so Caligula considered that, but Agrippa was very good friends with uh, Caligula, and Agrippa knew some things about Antipas. He knew that Antipas actually had been plotting against Tiberius when he was emperor, and that was plotting uh, against Caligula now that he was emperor. And so Caligula takes uh, Herod and Herodias, he, he exiles them uh, to modern-day France, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, uh, and they both get stripped of their titles and they die uh, in exile. And so that's what happened to them. Ambition, pride, lack of character, people-pleasing got them into all kinds of trouble, and they can get us into all kinds of trouble too. Now, I remember earlier I said that, that this, this story is really a contrast between two kings. It's, it's King Herod, not really a king, but, but a man who held himself out as king, and Jesus. Jesus presented himself as the a sinless Messiah, this paragon of virtue, of goodness uh, and righteousness. Uh, and throughout the gospel, uh, Jesus offers himself to the people, right? And, and he's rejected by the Jews, his people. He's rejected in his hometown, his even closer people. He's rejected by his family, even closer people. And now Herod Antipas's murder re represents Jesus's rejection by the wider world, uh, the, the, the world outside of, of his hometown, his family. Uh, it seems that, that Jesus is largely being rejected uh, by everyone. And in fact, Herod Antipas had a, 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 the ability uh, perhaps to undo what he did with John the Baptist later on. Uh, according to Luke's gospel, you'll remember that Herod Antipas was in Jerusalem when Jesus was being tried by Pilate. And you know that Pilate wanted nothing to do with putting Jesus to death, and so he sent Jesus to Antipas, hoping that Antipas would deal with the problem. And Herod was pleased about that because he wanted to see uh, Jesus perform some kind of magic trick like he heard that he was able to do, uh, but Jesus wouldn't even answer Herod. So Herod mocked him uh, and sent him back to Pilate. And so uh, Herod Antipas really is a unique character in the Gospels because he rejected both John the Baptist and Jesus. And, uh, and so he's a great early persecutor of Christianity. And so uh, both of them are subject to the ridicule uh, and even uh, in John the Baptist's case, uh, death by the hand of uh, Herod Antipas. 
And so what we see is that neither Jesus nor John the Baptist were immune to rejection, to evil, and even to murder. So what do we learn from this? Well, we learn that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are not immune from those things either. Uh, people from our own families may reject us because we believe in Jesus Christ. People from our own, own hometowns will. People from the world will. And for many followers of Jesus, uh, following him costs them their lives. Uh, but they believe, and as I believe that we believe too, it, it's better uh, to follow Jesus uh, than it is uh, to spend your life backstabbing to climb the corporate ladder, pleasing people to get ahead, and having no convictions at all. Uh, that is the kind of man John the Baptist was. John the Baptist told Herod the truth. Herod heard the truth, but he rejected it, and he followed the ways of the world. Uh, but John the Baptist followed Jesus, which shows us that a true disciple follows Jesus no matter the cost. Now, what do you think the apostles were thinking as they went to collect the headless body of John the Baptist from that prison? Can you imagine what that must have been like from them? Uh, I bet it was something like, if this can happen to John the Baptist, who is Jesus' own cousin, who is the forerunner of the Messiah, well, then surely uh, this can happen to us too, can it? Uh, and so uh, they're being awakened to the reality that being a disciple of Jesus uh, is a dangerous business. Uh, and so they must have had their own struggles with doubt as they considered themselves whether this mission was worth the cost. They didn't know what the future held for them, and they must have been afraid. Uh, imagine the questions that they might have had for Jesus when they reunited with him. Uh, you know, what, how can John the Baptist die? Isn't he the forerunner? Uh, these kinds of questions would have perplexed them. And so what, what they learned, and what you and I have learned too, uh, in our walk of discipleship, is that uh, the Christian life is uncertain, right? And long life is not guaranteed. And, and a life without pain and opposition is a pipe dream for a Christian. That's never going to happen. So we have to expect trial, expect opposition as we walk with Jesus. We have to prepare our kids that persecution is coming, and our grandkids too, because this walk is not easy. And the question becomes for us, uh, do we trust Jesus enough to keep walking with him despite life's uncertainties, despite the fact that we could be killed for our faith? Do we trust Jesus enough to keep walking with him? Now let's look at the last part of this sandwich story that Mark gave us here. This is the disciples returning to Jesus to report about the mission. Now we know that the disciples didn't always get it right, uh, but here at least uh, they counted the cost and they stayed with Jesus, verses 30 to 32. The apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a little while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves. So the disciples come back. Uh, they come and they see Jesus, and then this is probably back in Capernaum again. Now remember, there were six groups of two disciples. So that's six different groups of people telling different stories about all they had done and taught in the, in the many different places. So there must have been plenty of stories. And I'm sure Jesus listened with great joy, right, as he, as he, as he uh, listened to what these disciples accomplished in his name and by his power. And I'm also sure he was, uh, you know, looking at them for signs of pride, uh, right, in case they started to think, well, we did this in our own power, just keeping them in balance, in check, remembering that, that, that they did the work through his power and not his own power. 
uh, because you have to be careful about pride. Pride has a way of sneaking into our hearts, and we always have to be on the lookout for it. Uh, and so uh, we see it in Herod Antipas's life that his own pride led to his downfall. Now, from here, uh, Jesus' death is probably about one year away or so. And so his mission is to prepare his disciples uh, for what life is going to be for them, uh, what their ministry is going to be like when he is gone. Uh, and Jesus knows better than anybody that ministry is hard work. So if you have an opportunity to rest, well, it's a good time to take rest when you can before they continue their mission. So they went away to a secluded place by themselves, and we'll pick up the story there next week. But just consider what the apostles learned uh, since the last time they had seen Jesus, right? They, they learned uh, that, that uh, they could do amazing things through his power. They went from terrified men to miracle workers, right, in his power, because Jesus had given them his authority. And they also learned that Jesus could provide for them. They had, remember when Jesus sent them out, take no food, take no extra tunic, uh, take only the staff. That's all you can take. And so they learned to provide, or to, to, to depend on God's provision as they went. And so they had enough food and shelter. But they also learn that, that Jesus' mission comes with a cost, right? Jesus said, when they reject you, you shake the soles of your shoes, shake, shake the dust off the soles of your shoes as a testimony against them. So they were rejected in their travels as well. And they also learn that following Jesus can end in gruesome death like it did for John the Baptist. And so just imagine what they're thinking, right? They, they had uh, performed miracles in Jesus' name, which is life-changing. Can you imagine that power flowing through you to cast out demons, to heal the sick? Uh, because you say, Jesus says, be gone, demon, and the demon is gone. Can you imagine what that must feel like? But then to come and collect John the Baptist's body, that must have been soul-crushing. So walking with Jesus can be a roller coaster ride, right? There are highs and there are lows uh, in this walk that we have with Jesus. And we have to stay on the ride as much as sometimes we might like to get off uh, when we're in the valleys. The best proof uh, that our faith is genuine is that we continue walking with him even in the valleys. So let's close with a couple of applications. Uh, the first one thing we want to see is that, that, that fire will reveal our flaws, you know, what we do under pressure shows what we're really like. Now, Herod was no Christian, right? So we're not surprised, really, that he failed under pressure, that he, that he uh, did the wrong thing. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit, and uh, he's subject to his wife's pressure and the pressure of the dinner guests and the pressure that he's under uh, to keep his, uh, his authority and, and to expand his kingdom. Uh, but his ambition got him in a jam that he couldn't get out of, right? And so uh, he, he balanced in, in his own mind without the Holy Spirit. He balanced the cost. Uh, he could renege on the vow, right? He could allow John the Baptist to live. He could risk the scorn of his wife and the shame of his dinner guests. He, he could do all those things. Or he could do the right thing and admit that he had made a foolish vow and tell Salome to ask for anything else. I'm not giving you the head of John the Baptist. But acting only in self-interest, he added murder to the long list of sins he committed that evening. And so as Christians, uh, we need to emulate John the Baptist. Talk about a man who had the, the, uh, probably would have had the desire or the temptation to not speak the truth because he knew that his life was on the line. 
this man had the nerve and the conviction to speak truth to the most powerful man in the region. And we know now that, that Herod had the ability, the power of life and death, over John the Baptist. And to John the Baptist, truth was more important than self-preservation. And so it should be the same for us. When we have the opportunity to combat injustice, to, to speak truth, uh, we should always do the right thing instead of the convenient thing. And our integrity ought to be the thing that distinguishes us from the world. One of the best indicators that we do not cherish the values of the world, but we cherish kingdom values. So uh, watch out when, when uh, our flaws are being revealed by fire. Uh, second, don't compound sin. Uh, we know that sin leads to more sin, right? A lie requires a second lie to cover it up, and then a third lie to cover the second lie. Lust leads to adultery. Anger leads to murder. And so we have to be very careful not to get caught on this slippery slope of sin. Herod was probably drunk, and then he was lustful, then he was prideful, then he made an ill-advised vow, and then he lied, or he, he lacked the courage to undo the sins he committed, and the result is murder. That is the slippery slope of sin. So the deeper you and I get into sin, the harder it is for us to get out of it. So if we sin, uh, the thing to do is not to compound it with more sin. We just confess the sin immediately. Uh, we get off the hamster wheel of sin going over and over again, and we wipe the slate clean. Uh, and so uh, Chuck Swindoll says, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. I think that's a great quote because it shows us that, that it's enticing. It lures us in. It takes us deeper, deeper, further, further. And before we know it, we don't even know how we got to where we are. And the truth is so far behind us. It's hard to get back there. So don't compound sin. And lastly, expect persecution. You know, if John the Baptist was imprisoned and then killed in this way, and we know how Jesus was killed, why would we think or expect that we're going to have any different uh, kind of life? Uh, Jesus, remember, called John the Baptist the greatest of men uh, born of women. Uh, that's pretty high praise when you think about it. And, and if John the Baptist could be martyred, if Jesus could be martyred, we should expect nothing less. But true disciples stay on the path uh, that Jesus has given us, uh, even though we don't know the outcome. You know, I often say that, that Jesus only gives us enough light for our feet because if he lit up the whole path for us, we would not have the courage to get out of bed in the morning. We would not have the courage to take the next step. And that may scare us, but that's what faith is. We just take one step at a time, just walking in the light that he gives us and remaining faithful. And like the disciples, Jesus will provide what we need, even in the face of persecution. So Macbeth, Herod, both had these tragic flaws that led them to sin, even committing murder. Sin is a slippery slope, and all sin hinders our walk with Jesus. So we may be persecuted, we may be opposed, but Jesus is always with us, and he loved us enough to die on the cross for our sins. And so for us, the path of discipleship is worth whatever persecution we face so that one day we may hear the words of our Savior who says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, uh, this death of John the Baptist is, is truly a horrific, a horrific event in human history uh, that, that uh, people would be so callous to life uh, and so unwilling to hear truth, uh, Lord, that, that they would commit murder in order to stop it. And Lord, this is kind of the world that we live in today as well. 
And so we really shouldn't be surprised. Lord, I pray that you'll give us the courage and the fortification and the backbone to speak truth, uh, even though it may uh, get us into trouble with people who don't want to hear the truth. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your son who always spoke the truth, uh, even to Pilate, even when his life was on the line, uh, going to the cross for our sins. And Lord, uh, I just thank you uh, for that, for the fact of the gospel, uh, so that we might be saved, Lord. And so we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.